for your information is brought to you by Body Doubles. Why get sexy on screen when you can make your clone do it? Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. My show got canceled, but it's alright. I'll star in a porno. Welcome to For Your Inflammation, a podcast about good movies, better cocktails, and best friends. We're your hosts, Zach. And I'm John. Uh, ooh, your boy Paul Verhoeven brought the uh, he brought the roast beef to the dinner table yet again, didn't he? You know, for for a movie with so much nudity, I did not see any roast beef in this film at all. You know what? Uh, the technical term is backburger. Backbur- I don't even want to know where they get that from. All right. So if you didn't glance at the title, uh, this week we are doing Showgirls from 1995. This year has been so fucked up in its own way that I figured we might as well go here. It was inevitable. John is a Verhoeven fanatic. We we were going to cover this at some point, and 2020 seems like the perfect year. It also just so happens that uh, Saved by the Bell is having a revival se- uh, revival series premiere this week. Uh, so, uh, what? We didn't plan this at all. Hopping on a trend for views? Not us. No, we would never do anything like that. Although, I gotta say, all the accidental times that things have happened, like where we did our uh, Grease episode at the same time where uh, John Travolta's wife passed away, rest in peace to her and i'm sorry we roasted the fuck out of your husband yeah that sucked i I didn't feel good about that but i was also kind of like he's never gonna hear this that's true that's true and if he did we're we're doing all right that that's that's a that's an upward trend for us it's an upward trend for us all press is good press right uh yeah yeah Oh, God, but yeah, so, you know, just thinking about the fact that, God damn it, we're gonna have to deal with even more Saved by the Bell, I figured it's a good time to, like, you know, get on those hashtags, so that way people remember, like, oh, yeah, she did this. Mm, Of course, of course, we're talking about Elizabeth Berkley, who plays uh, Jesse Shapiro on Saved by the Bell, is the star of this film. And uh, you know, I don't think I've ever watched any Saved by the Bell, so uh, you it lucky didn't ruin boy. anything for me. You lucky boy. So, like, si- like, I'll just go ahead and say this here because I don't think that I really want to get too much into the Saved by the Bell shit. Uh, wa- like once we start the episode properly. Um, so Saved by the Bell ended in 1992 or 93, and this movie came out in 95. So there's only about a two to three year difference between those two things. So. I, I'm assuming she was using this to try and further her career and distance herself from Saved by the Bell. I mean, that sounds like a logical thing to do. Kind of like how Sylvester Stallone, you know, uh, no, not like Sylvester Stallone. He did that porno. He did do that porno. Uh, I forget what it was called initially, but it was retitled to the Italian Stallion. Yeah, it was like, uh, n- uh n- Night at Minnie's, uh, Heart, s- I- something like that. I don't know. It's a, a Night at something. <laughs> A night inside of an Italian-American. It was a pegging porno. Who knew? I don't anyway. like that. <laughs> just a guy in a big tin can suit made out of, like, spray-painted cardboard boxes just, you know, 
it's in like the thing like with the tin man where he whips it out and it's like covered in silver paint jesus christ the film also featured a giant can of pasta sauce fucking a paycheck okay so are we doing that thing again where we do like the dirty italian which is the, you know the ragu thing the ragu uh yeah for more information see uh oh what episode was that that was before halloween yeah that was earlier this year so like go find the rocky episode just keep scrolling 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 and if you get to the bottom you have to listen all the way through that's the rules i don't make them but i do right all right so let's get it all started so john you asked me specifically if we could do this so as a matter of fact i think you've asked me on air before to do this to do this movie so what why do you do this to me like you know, what, what what made you want us to sit through a verhoven movie again do you just love him that much and was this movie worth your love of starship troopers i am definitely one of those people that like starship troopers like ironically and unironically because mm-hmm. like it's uh it, it just when you know about the story and you know about the backstory behind it like it, it's really cool to watch and like it, it does a lot more for you and i think paul verovin is kind of underrated that way uh, i actually haven't seen all that much of his work but i had seen parts of this movie before but it's the edited tv version so nothing made any sense right because i see this is one of those movies where i don't understand why you would bother yeah it just doesn't make any sense like you just you lose so much content going to a tv friendly version right like um uh what's another one that sucks like it, like i think the one i can think of specifically is uh jay and silent bob strike back because like th- they just basically bleep out every other word because it wasn't even worth going in and trying to like replace the words it's like every other word is the f word like how did you think you were gonna get a tv friendly version of this yeah i don't know it just kind of seems like a cash cow machine like yesterday i actually went down the rabbit hole of uh the the cardi b wap think like where i actually mm-hmm. listened to it because i'd only listened to it in passing i was like oh i don't need that in my life um turns out you don't but there's a big difference between the actual album version i can't believe i'm saying there's an album version of wap but yeah there's an album version of wap and there's a video version of wap the the video version is censored so it's through like vivo or whatever on youtube so instead of saying wet ass pussy they say wet and gushy which is not better vivo that is not a better thing to put in there (laughs) you cannot call it a wet and gushy and expect that to be better than saying pussy that's just not how that works it's um that that that's always been a thing like where it's just like why why are you bothering like i've never understood american censorship like i okay i'm waiting for the kids bop version they can't what are they gonna do they'll just keep wet and gushy <laughs> what are they gonna talk about like uncooked like cake batter yeah 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 just like that uh i uh i, I don't know i you know what else they oh, what is it there's um raw eggs in the pot that's some wet and gushy mom I, says no, don't again eat it. not says, better don't eat it wet and gushy not better none and of this is better in my tummy it'd be wet and gushy i i don't know exactly what all you just said macaroni I, in a pot that's for dinner there you go I, kids bob you owe me ten dollars i we're gonna get sued like we're actually gonna get sued this time <laughs> It's almost like, um, you know what this reminds me of? Uh, do you remember the song Fuck You by CeeLo Green? Oh, yeah. There are seven different versions of that song floating out there. All by CeeLo Green. None of them are covers. Here's the question. Do they have to re-copyright every edit of that song? Um, I think the copyright involves any version of the song. Like, I don't think it's like you have a separate copyright for the edited version, for this version, that version. Because if that were the case, then, like, obviously 
they wouldn't hold a copyright on the censored version for as long, so you would run the risk of the censored version also going into the public domain, which you absolutely don't want to do when you got a hit song like Fuck You by CeeLo Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you could be like Blink-182 and have one copyright for every song you've ever written. <laughs> Jesus Christ, is that true? No, not at all. I I'm just making fun of how it all kind of sounds the same sometimes. Oh, yeah, like, so... <laughs> What you're what you're suggesting is Blink One Eighty Two should just like copyright their sound instead of their actual songs. It would be much more efficient. I can't remember what their actual like production company is called. It's like Ski Ball McPoop Skins or something like that. I can't remember. Like it's like their actual legit like production company name, and they only did that so that when people come to meet them, they have to say, "Hi, I'm calling Poop Skin McPee Balls." I, I love that. I love that. Uh, you know, it's like, you pick it up and it's like, hello, welcome to the offices of Poopskin McPeeballs. If you know the extension you're trying to reach, dial now. <laughs> it just, the only thing it'll go to is an entire audiobook of Tom DeLong explaining why aliens exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are dangerously off track right now. <laughs> we are dangerously off so, track. To get back to the root of the matter, to get back to that sweet roast beef that Paul Verhoeven brought back to the dinner table yet again, um... <laughs> I saw this movie in bits and pieces in the TV version, and it always fascinated me because, like, it was clearly a chop job of an edit, and right. I wanted to know what all was in it. And, I, you know, time goes on, you know, I have time to watch those movies, now I'm doing a podcast where it's my job to watch movies that I haven't actually seen all of before, so this is uh, this was a natural next step. And once we had done Starship Troopers and had tons of fun with Paul Verhoeven then, I thought, well, now we gotta do Showgirls. Right, because this is probably his, like, third or second most popular maybe you know what maybe this is his most popular film uh due to how lucrative it was on the home video market because like he's basically done like a couple of really big american movies especially in the 90s and 80s so like he hit like the big ones are like starship troopers showgirls and basic instinct you don't think robocop is one of them fuck i forgot about robocop yeah so he's, okay i thought for sure robocop was gonna be number three yeah he's definitely done some big stuff probably robocop's more popular than showgirls but like shit man i can't believe i forgot he did fucking robocop probably because it's also not one of my favorite movies i still haven't seen robocop god damn it another paul verovin classic that we have to do ah uh, fine fine whatever we'll, we'll get to it we'll get there all right so i would say like i don't hate this movie it's not my favorite movie to watch it's also kind of like hard to just throw on because it's like it's really long like this movie is two hours and 12 minutes long and it should be like an hour and 35 tops like this movie is held down by its runtime like i felt like they should have just dropped some of those subplots and like upped the zaniness to get the effect that was intended i really don't think that it would have done well as a porky's type movie though no no i'm not even saying that i'm saying like some of the melodrama in the film like I, I would say specifically like most of the melodrama comes from that subplot with like uh that, that james guy and th that penny girl like okay, yeah yeah i see what you mean there um i also think that maybe there's a bit of drama that comes from the backstory of nomi malone and how that is not really brought to light until the end and you kind of wonder because at first it just seems like they're doing like a nameless faceless hero like cowboy rides into town on a horse with no name kind of thing and then it turns into something else which is actually really interesting right and like 
it's almost like they should have just not even bothered. Like, but the thing is, is that I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner at the end. And so they basically had to reveal her past so that they could move on to the ending, which also didn't make any sense. You don't think so? No. Okay. So like, basically here's like, I kind of want to get into this later, but basically I feel like the ending was rushed because like, we don't even find out like Naomi's or not Naomi. I always want to call her Naomi. We don't even, yeah, find, yeah. we don't even find out about Naomi's past until there's only like 10 minutes left in the film. Yeah, but it all makes sense. Like it does tie up some loose ends. I think Nomi is kind of an abrasive character sometimes. And like, it leaves you wondering why. And maybe that's where they kind of wrote themselves into a corner. Like they had to bring that out at some point right we couldn't leave it mysterious or they couldn't imply things like it came to a point where they just had to because it didn't make any sense if they didn't right and that's the whole thing is like i feel like the satire is there there are legitimately like i would say about 30 to 40 minutes of this film that are legitimately enjoyable like um the the whole scene where she's um or i guess it's kind of a montage where like she first gets the job as the as the dancer and not a stripper like like the the whole 30 to 40 minutes that that is happening is great but then it goes off into another subplot with her and the uh, star of that show. And it yeah. like it just doesn't go anywhere. Like the only reason so? the only reason that it's there is so that she could push her off those stairs and she become she could become the star. There was no other reason for that character to exist. She was literally there to be stepped on. See, it's one of those things like you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And in this case, being the hero was being Henrietta from the Cheetah. And, you know, living long enough to see yourself be the villain is being the star of Goddess. Right. And it's just like, I don't know, man. Like, there's just some things about this movie that, like, I feel like they could have written it better. Like, I feel like it's not very well executed. And it, like, it lingers way too long on certain things. Yeah, I could agree. And, like, I mean, I think the other thing is, like, we have a Nomi blow-up about every 25 minutes. Yeah, that was a little annoying. Like I said, abrasive character. And it makes a little more sense in the end. I mean, clearly there's, like, a, like a background of, uh, like, abuse or pain. And, like, that's not a bad thing to have in a character. But it, it's you gotta have development, I think. And yeah. maybe they intentionally made her kind of a flat character. Like, she gets what she wants, but she doesn't fundamentally change. Which is admirable in some characters but not here yeah it's um it doesn't come off the best and i think that they really needed to go back to the drawing board on this or like i said they needed to make some edits Mm -hmm. to make it a little more obvious what they were trying to do but anyway oh man i really need a drink john like this week has been really rough i've worked a lot and uh i'm hoping you came up with a vegas worthy cocktail for this movie even though there's definitely way more cocaine in this movie than there is alcohol You know, I was surprised at the limited amount of alcohol being consumed, considering it is Las Vegas. I mean, there's champagne, and I thought maybe that would be my end for the cocktail here. Turns out I don't have any sparkling wine at all right now. Uh, Uh It's not something I normally keep around, but, you know, every now and again I've got it. So I actually thought, well, what if I made a cocktail that looked like champagne, but was actually just a cocktail? Oh, interesting. So you, <laughs> is this like a Dixie champagne type thing? A little bit, or like the uh, the redneck margarita, which is just tequila and Mountain Dew. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like that, but it doesn't make you want to die a little bit. <laughs> 
Mountain guys, Mountain Dew is not a mixer. It never has been. Please stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so this is called the Desert Champagne Cocktail, and this is how you would make it. So you get a quarter ounce of Cointreau, a quarter ounce of Amaretto, a quarter ounce of vodka, a quarter ounce of lemon juice, and a quarter ounce of agave nectar. And you're going to put those into the bottom of a champagne flute, add two dashes of orange bitters, and then you're going to add three quarter ounces of Reposado tequila and three quarter ounces of fresh orange juice. Now those juices, you're going to want to double strain them when you put them in here because you want it to be as clear as possible. And when you're using fresh orange juice, that's kind of hard, but it's not as important with the orange juice as it is with the lemon juice. You just don't want chunks of pulp floating in it. So you just leave those things in the bottom and you're going to top it with cold club soda. So the club soda needs to be as bubbly as possible. If you have like a soda stream machine or something like that, you can kind of control how much, uh, you know, carbonation you're going to get. So if you're using something like that, put it on the top setting. If not, just roll with it. The big bubbles are what's going to sell it to make it look like it could actually be champagne. So it's got a little bit of a sweet flavor, uh, not quite so tart, but just enough body from the agave nectar. And the tequila flavor does come through a little bit. It's very fun. It's very Las Vegas. But um, ultimately, it looks classy, even though you did just throw a bunch of crap together in a champagne flute, which is, I feel like that kind of embodies the film a little bit. Yeah, just throw everything at it and see what sticks. No, that, that this is actually pretty interesting. Like, it's it's definitely got more alcohol than actual champagne does. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say yeah. So, like, it's more alcohol per volume, so, th so does it taste like real champagne, or does it, or I guess you said you put orange juice in there, so, like, does it taste like a real mimosa? It actually tastes a little bit like a mix between, like, um, like a mimosa and a tequila sunrise. Mmm. Ah. See, I've never understood the tequila sunrise, like, like, mimosas make sense, but I've never understood why you would put tequila in orange juice. I mean, for the same reason you put vodka in orange juice. It's just People you're trying to uh, fuel your juice? body while still consuming vodka. <laughs> I really need some calcium C right now, or vi I need some vitamin D right now, but I also need to be drunk. Like, I, I don't understand you people. <laughs> you know what, man? It's, uh, it it's a whole thing, you know? Uh, maybe some people just think the orange juice covers up the, like, the taste of the vodka, which it, it absolutely does not. Like, no. any, any screwdriver worth its salt is, you're gonna taste the vodka. Right, like, vodka is really hard to cover up. Like, I don't understand why people would even try. Like, it's, honestly, I think people think because it's an odorless, flavorless spirit that you truly can just eliminate it. And, and it does not work that way. No, as a matter of fact, like, drinking straight vodka is actually easier than drinking most mixed drinks. Interesting perspective. So are you like a Mr. Barton's guy, or are you like a Burnett's guy, or like a Taka guy? Um, see, I don't know what any of those brands except for Taka are. Like, I don't know, like, especially if it's like a flavored vodka, like, it goes down pretty easy. Like, you don't really have to mix it with anything. It's fun to mix it with other things, but I feel like, I feel like orange juice is not the right thing because, like, vodka and orange juice has always tasted like, you know, like what orange juice tastes like right after you've brushed your teeth? Oh, I see. It gives That's me the, the same sensation. Interesting. Yeah, I think people, like, it's popular because it is sweet and sour, like, orange juice is tart that way, so when you mix it with an alcohol like vodka, it's supposed to work. And I think for a lot of people who are just trying to drink vodka but don't want to shoot vodka, it makes a lot of sense. But, like, if you're making a proper cocktail, a, a screwdriver is a very, very, it's like the SKS rifle of cocktails. Like, yes, it gets the job done every time. Yes, it's going to be fine if you drag it through the mud. It's hard to fuck up, but it's still a piece of shit. <laughs> 
durable, but not worth it. Got it. (laughs) Speaking of things that are enduringly durable, but not worth anyone's time, let's bring Frank's synopsis into the studio. Frank, are you with us, buddy? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm always here on time, or at least I try to be whenever the bus allows. Yeah, I think we've only had to stall for you once or twice. I mean, the bus system in New York City, a fictional New York City, is, uh, you know, it's it's not known for being the most reliable. No, I suppose it's not. And when you live by the bus, you die by the bus. Are, are you ride and die for the New York transportation system? I mean, when you ride the bus the way I do, you kind of have to. So is it like, I'm either going to get this ride and it's going to be fine, or I'm going to die? Well, I cling to the bottom of the bus and I hope they don't hit a speed bump. So what are you using the money that we give you for? Well, as much as I'm able to, sometimes I'll splurge and I'll buy an actual bus seat. Uh, sometimes I'll go and I'll, uh, I don't know, buy some bird seats so I can go have a fun night in the park. Uh, sometimes I will... Uh, I don't know, just, uh, give the money away. (laughs) You'll just give it away. Well, how charitable of you, Frank. What is charity? Uh, something that we need to hook you up with, Frank. Uh, There's a lot of help you could be getting, especially from the government that you are not getting. Um... Well, maybe, well, maybe we'll set something up for you for Christmas. Maybe we'll get you on welfare, buddy. You could do your work for welfare here. Oh, well, well, I, I have a job, you know. I, I, I'm a working man. You know, I've got oh. a job here. I've got a job back in New York City as well. So what, what is your job back in New York City? Oh, I work at Showgirls. You work at Showgirls. Like, like the movie? Or is this like a place that you could go to? Oh, it's Showgirls Tours Incorporated. We show girls Central Park and we show girls Times Square and we show girls all all over the town oh just it's for women stuff. only it's a safe space it's a safe space but you're there i am there and they can all be had for the cost of one pair of used pennies ah okay <laughs> i i how successful is this venture frank it's a job okay i i want to ask how many used panties you get per day but i don't think i want to know the answer what i do want to know is did you watch the film showgirls of course i did all right frank well why don't you tell me and the audience a little bit about showgirls all right nomi malone is a girl with a secret past and a bad temper who travels to las vegas for a fresh start after getting her suitcase stolen by the man who picked her up hitchhiking she befriends molly and moves into her trailer nomi then gets a job as a stripper at cheetah's topless club and quickly moves on to become a star showgirl will her past catch up to her will she find love will the subplot ever amount to anything find out in showgirls thank you frank you you definitely got the vibe that i was going for and i and i appreciate you being here buddy and uh you know let let us show bring us a graph of like the amount of used panties to amount of tours being given so that way maybe we can try and get this idea to paul verhoeven i'm sure he needs a new idea for a movie oh of course of course of course all right we'll write you on as an executive producer all right uh let you let john back in on your way in frank all right i'll see you later all right all right, John, are you ready to get going? Oh, yeah. Um. All right, so there's like a bucket outside, and there's some kind of goo in it, and there's like a... What's up with that? Like, there's like some kind of fabric, like, is it... I... Okay, so I think... First of all, you don't want to know what that is. And second, what I'm going to tell you is that I think Frank is making used panty soup to eat, and now I'm worried. We really need to get him some government assistance. He knows that there's a craft services trash can here. Yes, and I, I, I mean, we've been kind of lacking on it lately. Like, we, we haven't had as good stuff in there. Like, I think I threw, like, one pickle in a pickle jar in there the other day. Oh, yeah. And just, I like, mean, that's like a big get for him. There's electrolytes in that pickle juice. Right, but, like, no one ate it. (laughs) 
So, I mean, it's still out there. It's stinking up the place. I don't know where our custodian in it, or where our custodian is. I don't know when we're going to drop this bit about us being in the same room and not on two different sides of the coast of America. But Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about Showgirls. All right. So, all right. So, I'm going to give you some of the basic Wikipedia info so you kind of know who our players here are because um this this episode's going to be a little light on like info because it's kind of like it is what it is. Like they filmed in Vegas. They were all really topless. Like, yes. Yes, 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 and yes. Like check all those boxes. And so and again, like it kind of leaves it to be a little uninteresting. So, I figured it'd be more interesting to talk about the merit of this film, but there is some things we need to go over before we get to that point so here we go so showgirls was uh directed by paul verhoven who um i disdain and john is somewhat of a fan of yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's pretty good he thinks he's pretty good all right it was produced by alan marshall and charles evans and written by joe how do you say this john esterhaas esterhaas written by joe esterhaas uh starring elizabeth berkeley as naomi malone and uh, like we said earlier it's from saved by the bell uh Mm. kyle mclaughlin as zach k uh who is most famous for being in twin peaks yeah he's got a bit of a kevin bacon thing going on with his ass cheeks in this movie (laughs) i mean i gotta be honest like best ass in the film honestly really like did you see how bouncy that thing was man like i'm not gonna lie best ass in the movie i i appreciate your honesty yeah i mean like i'm i'm just putting it out there kyle mclaughlin's ass nice all right anyway gina gershon as crystal connors gina rivara as molly abrams and reno rifel as penny ah yes penny sweet penny sweet sweet penny all she wanted to do was be a dancer and she couldn't even get that right yes hold me closer tony danza <laughs> jesus christ i don't think tony danza wants his name anywhere near this thing all right oh, is that so <laughs> i do not believe so so the music was by david a stewart and cinematography by jost vacano um edited by mark gold you know what you're probably reading wikipedia along with me you tell me um goldblatt oh man my eyes are just deceiving me that one was easy mark edited by mark goldblatt and mark halfridge so the two marks the two marks got in on this together um i'm sure they had a lot of fun editing this thing and yeah of course um i i hope that they made them be professional and do this in studio and that they did not allow them to take their work home with them yeah it was pre-covid it was (laughs) pre-covid can you imagine shooting a movie like this in a post-covid world like do you watch anything lately like that was that was recorded pre-covid and you're just like wow this looks terrifying and how disgusting is this uh yeah i think so you know it was a lot easier to dismiss it when we weren't afraid to be within an arm's reach of another person in public yeah just watch watching people eat ass is just not the same anymore anyway <laughs> did anybody get their ass eaten in this movie no no one got their ass eaten in this movie as a matter of fact i don't think you really see any genitalia at all no I, again back burger back burger Ugh. all right so the production companies were carlaco pictures char chargers and and uh united artists our good friend united artists also responsible for uh rocky yeah yeah, yeah. you know good stuff uh you run up the steps you pull your boobies out you know you put a knife in your mattress uh pennsylvania pennsylvania i wish this movie took place in pennsylvania it would make sense 
Showgirls? Showgirls. <laughs> is there like a large population of strip clubs in Pennsylvania? No, and it's a matter of, as a matter of fact, like the only one I know of is like right off the highway. Like literally, like it is right next to the off ramp going out of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Ah, like literally, so it's like a, it's like a hot spot where you can like park a truck. As a matter of fact, I think they do have a pretty big truck parking area. But it also looks really difficult to get into. <laughs> not that not that I'm frequenting strip clubs and not that I'm like condone not condoning it or anything, but just like it looks really difficult to get into. So even if I wanted to go, probably wouldn't. So yeah, uh, the Infilmation podcast formal stance on strip clubs is they're cool if you're into that. They're cool if you're into that and you're being respectful. Like here for your information, we support sex workers, and you know what? If you don't, then fuck you. Don't watch porn. Do you want to watch porn? Do you like porn? You support sex workers. Goodbye. All right. Anyway, so the film was distributed by MGM and uh, United Artists Distribution, um, and it was released on September 22nd, 1995 in the United States. That's my mom's birthday. And then um, (laughs) it was released on January 10th, 1996 in France. I see. Yeah. I wonder how the reception in France was. I don't know. Maybe maybe they thought it was funny because it's kind of like super American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not understand why everybody gets all up in the tizzy about the boobies. They should be everywhere. You go out to the beach and there are boobies. You go out to the street and there are boobies. You go into my house, there's a boobies. They're chained up to the wall, but there are boobies. I, you know, we've gotten to like a dark Coffin Joe thing there. <laughs> He's French and Transylvanian. This is a bit more of an Italian thing, like a Bunga Bunga situation. (laughs) This is now the 15th episode you brought up, Bunga Bunga, and I'm going to have to ask you to stop. Go to Wikipedia and look up Bunga Bunga. When we re-up your contract, we are going to make sure that you cannot say Bunga Bunga anymore. (laughs) Okay, yeah. I'll have to change it to Muammar Gaddafi's preferred Jenga Jenga. Jesus Christ. Alright, so the budget of this movie was... 40 to about 45 million dollars and the box office was drum roll please 37.8 million dollars <laughs> not not great nope fell just short classic paul verhoven oh yeah i mean he he did great with robocop great with basic instinct uh starship troopers wasn't too bad uh this one was pretty much a flop mm. all right so let's get right into the shit so it's all about the production value baby so joe esterhaus sorry i yes. had to get that right joe esterhaus wrote verhoven's last film basic instinct and after wrapping up on that film they discussed doing another uh verhoven said he loved the old mgm musicals of the 40s and then esterhaus came back with setting the film in vegas and decided to make it about women of the bustling sex industry there can you call being a stripper a sex industry yeah is it just adult entertainment like i I get how like uh yes i was gonna say because i I think i think there's a difference between the sex industry and you know being a stripper especially when it comes to places like nevada las vegas where there are legitimate brothels right okay so yeah there is a difference but it's all within the same like industry kind of or it's at least it gets lumped together especially in this Mm -hmm. movie that like uh, that stereotype is definitely pushed forward by this movie but like (sighs) 
So yes, so you have sex workers and you have adult entertainers. And sometimes they're one and the same and sometimes they're not. That's true. Question mark. So like just because you have sex on camera does not make you a sex worker. But just because you film your sex work does not make you a porn star. Make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you're doing reality television at that point. Anyway, Don't like that concept. That's that's neither here nor there. You do you. However you sell your used panties is up to you. Yeah, make sure you give Frank a call. <laughs> make sure you give Frank a call. He he's apparently in desperate need of them. They're they're on a shortage. All right. So while we're while we're on the subject of the adult entertainment industry, like porn was exploding in the '90s due to home video, and I think that's it's important for the context here and why people were so excited for it. Another another piece of history is that porn was becoming much more available, not only due to home video but due to internet. Um, and did you know the first online transaction paid by credit card was for porn? I believe that. Yeah, so the porn industry innovates while we stand around a jacket. New world porn hub order. I'm into that. I like that idea. I like how they literally have the people by the balls. They do. And, like, you know what? How do we not all have, like, a Pornhub premium subscription instead of, like, a Netflix subscription? I think that we'll probably in the future just have, like, a VR headset strapped onto our head where, you know, like, again, we were talking about the other day how, like, the anime girls are going to become real because we're all going to be wearing VR helmets and, uh, you know, it's going to put, like, strippers out of business. <laughs> they'll just become the VR anime, anime big titty girls. They'll just, and they'll be giving you lap dances from across the world. Uh, you know what? The internet brings people closer together and probably cuts down on the, uh, the HIV transmission rate. That is true. That is true. Can't get HIV if you're not putting your real dick into real vagina or anywhere else. Ah, uh, anywhere else. That's the, uh, that, that, that's the, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. You decide. It's your body, it's your sexuality, and whoever's willing to do it with you. Choose your own adventure story. <laughs> Has anyone ever done, like, a porno choose your own adventure? I'm positive they have. Like, there's no way they've not done that. Like, cause that actually sounds like a cool concept. Anyway, let's get, let's get, let's move on. So, um, Esther Huss was paid two million to write this script, and he got one point seven million more when MGM picked it up. Three point seven million dollars to write this piece of shit. It's not that bad. It's okay. Yeah, let let me let me let me stop there. Yeah, it's not that bad it's just not good sure it's no uh titanic although i think i would rather have this movie be the famous one than titanic yeah i mean i'd rather watch this than titanic any day like titanic's a really fucking boring movie but at the same time i don't really want to watch either one mm -hmm. i is it just like the mid 90s like drama that you're not into it's the um well, first of all, like, I'm not a fan of this movie because, like, I can't, like I said earlier, I can't just throw it on. Like, it's not good background noise. It's a little too distracting. It's a little too noisy. And, like, also, like, I can't just watch this casually. Like, there's too there's too much nudity going on. Like, I can't throw this on at a party. Well, you see, that's the thing. You're just not having the right kind of party. I mean, I'm not having stag parties on the reg, so yes, you are correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put on some, uh, put on some centurions. Get, uh, get what you call it, um, Comanche. Play Comanche and see how many people leave. Jesus Christ. 
I think it's the second time I brought up Comanche. I do believe it is. I do believe that's true. Okay. That's a Pulp Fiction reference for those of you that haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I'm calling you out for a change. <laughs> the only time John can. All right, so Denise Richards was considered for the role of Nomi before Elizabeth Berkley, but Richards declined and Berkley got the part. Like I said earlier, most likely she took the role to distance herself from her role on Saved by the Bell, which we see happen often. Like, I, I guess the most recent case would be Miley Cyrus. I see that. Uh, that's, uh, ooh, that, that's a trip. Yeah, it's a trip to watch Hannah Montana and then remember what she's like now, but I think that Miley is just doing Miley, and I think we should let her do it. Yeah, she does her favorite things, like peeing in a parking lot. Hey, man, you gotta pee somewhere, it might as well be a parking lot. She didn't go, like, and pee on, like, someone's computer or something. That's true, that's true. You I know, mean... She's better than 90% of cats in America. I, you have a problem with this particular cat. I have many cats, and th they don't pee on my electronics. Yeah, okay, so my cat has not peed on, like, any, like they, she hasn't peed on, like, my computer or, like, an Xbox or a TV or anything like that. But she did pee on my guitar, like, ah, on my electric no guitar, and it, like, pretty much fried the pickup and now i'm sad but it is also a squire so i also can't be that sad about it but it's also my first guitar so that it, it's a complicated feeling we'll send you some new shit you can uh, you can throw some new electronics in there i'm thinking i'm just going to smash that one like i've always wanted to and then i'll just buy a new one i you know what man you do you you do you. I'm going to do me because it's the only thing I know how to do. All right. So let's talk. Let's jump all the way to the release of this film. Like I said, there's not much to this one. So um, when this film descended onto theaters in 1995, it actually made history. This was the first and so far only NC-17 rated film to be released widely. See, now that is the important thing. I think Paul Verhoeven can take that trophy home and Oh, be absolutely. Happy and he can take all of his Golden Raspberry Awards with him as well. Um, so MGM sent bouncers to make sure that no one under 17 was permitted into the film. See, responsible filmmaking. Responsible filmmaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it would have been more responsible to, like, you know make him tone this down because like I, nah. I, I was thinking about like what makes this movie nc-17 worthy other than like the just amounts of gratuitous nudity and uh, I, they do drugs a few times uh there is a i don't know if it was as important at the time but there there is it, there's a lot of homoeroticism yeah I, I mean it was the 90s so that could have possibly been a contributing factor but i think it comes down to probably three things there's some nipple licking going on in this uh-huh so that's probably automatically a no-no and then i just right yeah you never been a baby before you never put a nipple in your mouth right but in a sexual nature it's all it's almost like the mpaa you have to remember are like mostly cons like conservative christian types not that there's anything wrong with that, but y'all get offended by shit more than other people do. We need some more uh, pink flamingos types. <laughs> oh, God. We don't want those people running the ratings board. At that point, you might as well not have a ratings board. Th that is, you know what? Having John Waters solely be the MPAA is definitely the libertarian choice in this <laughs> in this instance. I, I like that. I like that. You walk into the screening room, you're like, what, what does it smell like dog shit in here? Hello, I'm John Waters. <laughs> Let's watch a fucked up movie together. All right, cool. Just did. <laughs> all right so um the film bombed spectacularly due to poor reviews and the age restriction and um 
this is probably why we don't see more NC-17 rated films. Like, the, like the studio was took a gamble on this. Very Las Vegas of them. Yeah, the, I see that. And I think maybe also nowadays with the popularity of, like, unrated or uncut or direct, you know, download type movies. Like, you can have different versions of a movie that wouldn't go to theater. And it doesn't cost you what this costs this film. Exactly. So, this movie would have done much better straight to video. But they spent way too much money on it. Like, I mean, the sets are pretty lavish. And, they are. And... And they spent a lot of money on this movie for 1990. Like, this was almost unheard of until probably The Phantom Menace. Ah, good old Phantom Menace. You gotta get the good Jar Jar Binks effects. What if they would have let Verhoeven direct that one? God, that that's a concept. Now, I'd be there for it. Uh, I think Jar Jar Binks would have boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Jar Jar Binks with a big old set of knockers on him. It, he has to have four. There's got to be four oh, right. on there. So what's the arrangement there? Is it like two on one side, two on the other side in like a square pattern? Or there's like one on the side and two in the front? Or like how, how does that... It's like a saddlebags type situation? I'm assuming that two are in the middle and they're smaller. There's one gigantic long boob protruding above those. And then like a small like any titty on the bottom interesting interesting yeah so we're implying that jar jar binks is a mammal now <laughs> i was mostly implying that <laughs> that jar jar binks's four titties kind of look like a dick yeah no, like I, I got what you were doing it. there i i do i i we can't not keep talking about this <laughs> we are right in the middle of the release info dangerously off the rails all right so the film did do very well on home video, and it's still, to this day, in the top 20 of MGM's bestsellers. Oh, well, good for you, MGM. So all of the Bond films didn't make it into that list, clearly, because there's more than 20 of them, I think. Yeah, I mean, they can't all be zingers. There's, like, what, 75 of those films? Something like that. It's like the, uh, again, to, to reference Girls Gone Wild again. <laughs> There's way more of those than there needs to be. Um, if you go to your uncle's house and you see a Girls Gone Wild video in his attic, you need to run. Your uncle is a disgusting man who watches Comedy Central at 3 a.m. Ooh, that's uh, that's the scariest part. That's the scariest part. Please don't watch cable after 4, or really after 2. Stop watching cable after 2. It's not good for you. <laughs> you can switch to Netflix or you can switch to video games, but don't or watch cable. I can cable. switch to fucking bed. <laughs> Take your ass to bed, sir. You should not be up late enough to be seeing these commercials in the first place. Anyway, Verhoeven made an R-rated cut that was three minutes shorter to sell to video rental stores because Blockbuster and Hollywood Video refused to carry NC-17 rated films. And look where they are now. Ah, uh, you bit the dust anyway, you bastards. Yep, you might as well have sold Showgirls at your store. Well, they did, but it was like the R-rated version, which I'm assuming probably cut out some of the nipples, the nipple licking, and some of the, uh, that weird fucking... Can we talk about this, this, like, the lap dance that she gives, um... Oh, Zach. yeah, I forgot about that. Like, at the beginning of the film, where it's like, she is, she is just fucking him and he has clothes on. She is grinding all up on that. No, like, she's straight up fucking him. Like, th this is the only time I agree with that James character from the subplot. Oh, yeah. Like, like he is straight, she is straight up fucking him. 
I, yeah, I, like, it's pretty intense, and I think that, uh, I don't know that it does an awful lot for the story unless you look at it from the perspective of the James subplot, and, I mean, maybe that's, like, things that could have been that never were, and that's why that's in the movie. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it means, I don't know what it represents, I just know that he got, like, upset about it, and, I mean, that's understandable, I guess, because that was pretty intense what happened in there, but you got $500 for it, I mean, $500 is $500. That is true. I would take $500, and that's in 1995 money Ooh, so that's pre- that's actually a pretty good pretty good penny there all right so let's talk about the legacy of this one before we get into some of like the uh the, the bigger points of contention here so the film has gone on to become somewhat of a cult film uh with screenings all across the u.s kind of like a la the room or rocky horror picture show yeah a documentary film about that fandom was called you don't know me ah. spelled n-o-m-i like the character <laughs> Stop it. Get some help. Stop. Get some help. Uh, Was released in 2019. And uh, Rena Reifel wrote, directed, and starred in a spinoff film called Showgirls 2, Pennies from Heaven, that was released straight to DVD in 2011. They do not defame that Louis Prima classic, Pennies from Heaven, featured in the movie Elf with Will Ferrell. Well, they did. (laughs) Some days you get up and you're having a slow morning and you're like, man, I just... I need to pick me up. Put on that song and you will feel excellent. And then remember that it's ruined by a showgirl sequel. I'm going to have to go back and watch it, you know, like I did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I don't think you're going to have as much fun with this one. Uh, you assume I had fun with the first one. I, at no point did I say that I had fun with this. <laughs> I, I understand what you mean. All right. And finally, an off-Broadway adaption was staged in 2013. I'm... How? I don't know. I, I There's very little about it. There's a cast recording that doesn't have all of the songs in it. <laughs> just put a, Just put a flip camcorder up in the back put it up on the railing, you know nobody bought that seat, and just record the whole thing. I don't know why they didn't. Um, Probably because they barely got the rights to do this thing anyway. They barely got the rights. They barely got the rights from, who, Paul Barovin from MGM for this movie? <laughs> I mean, it's in of their... Of all t- the things there are and are not Broadway musicals for, why is this the one they had the trouble with? <laughs> I don't know. If Toxic Avenger can be successful, why not Showgirls? Anyway... Let's. I want to get into some of like the issues I have with this film. I'm gonna call these nip slips. Don't like it. <laughs> All right. So I've been talking about this a lot. Like, so they they basically bring up this subplot with James and Penny and this love triangle between Nomi, James, and Penny, and they just completely drop it. You know, I don't even know that I could confidently call it a triangle. It's more like a like an arrowhead. Like it's open at the bottom. Yeah, so, like, like, I don't get what the point of this is. Like, it's not proving anything to us. It's not showing us uh, Nomi as a character. James is inconsequential to the film completely, and so is Penny. So, yes. so why is this here? I think we see, like, what happens to uh, the person that Nomi might have become. Or, like, th- we see that trajectory of the character without having to live it. So we still get the glamour of seeing Nomi, like cut her way to the top in a, like a dark kind of way and that's interesting because it wouldn't be very interesting if she or interesting we'll say it wouldn't have been the same movie in any way if she had stuck with james and ended up in the same situation that james and penny were in right like i understand what they were going for i just don't see it as like needed because 
if that James character never existed in the film, like, we would, like, there would be nothing going on. Like, and also, like, and here's, here's the thing. Sorry, I just thought about this. I feel like the only reason he's there is so that she can get in that fight at that club, get arrested so that she has a Las Vegas criminal record so that they have it to pull up at the end to give her, you know, backstory. It is convenient. There is a, a like, a web of events that they've mapped out here that help the story go along, and they definitely had to be careful with it. They, they definitely put a lot of thought into it, I think. I, I think... <sighs> They gave a lot of thought to how it played out. They gave no thought to the execution because, like, why have James there? That, like, why have him still be there? Like, there, like, there's no reason for him to be there. And if you cut him out of the movie, you get like fucking like that would free up 25 minutes that you could have filled with something else. I mean, I guess so. I feel like James' presence in the movie kind of represents two sides of the same theme. Where with the James, we have uh you open up to people and you give them ammunition for their own personal gain. And then on the other side, you have maybe like a Zach character where you open up to people and they'll take advantage of you for their financial gain. Okay. I see what you're saying. Like, like I didn't write this movie. I wouldn't have written that character in there, but like, I see what you're saying. Right. He's the human side of it, not the commerce side of it. Right, right, right. The next kind of subplotty thing I want to go over, and I want to see you defend this the way that you just defended the James character. Like, I felt like the will they, won't they between Nomi and Crystal is completely, like, unwarranted and needless. Yeah, no, I think that is, uh, maybe not like a shock jock thing or like a, you know, uh, edgy content thing. I think that maybe it just develops Crystal a little bit more or like makes that relationship a little bit more complicated in that, you know, there is sexual tension where you wouldn't initially think there would be or that they introduce that concept into the mix to uh, just kind of rabble rouse a little bit just to kind of cause trouble. Right. And like, I guess that's really all it is. And it's, it's, it just felt so needless and, like, mean-spirited, but I guess that also adds to the overall effect of the film, because the film leaves you with a very sour taste. Like, it feels very negative. It's almost like there's a theme here of, like, opening up and doing things that you wouldn't normally do, or becoming a person that you didn't think you would become to get what it is that you're after, and I think maybe that, like, uh, that... I'm going to just go ahead and call it a sexual tension between Nomi and Crystal, or specifically from Crystal at Nomi, um, is another way of illustrating that. Like, they're all about, like, oh, you're not going to, you know, like, put out or whatever. Oh, I'm not a whore. And then it turns out that she was, in fact, a prostitute. Spoiler alert. uh, Nomi was a prostitute. um, Right. (laughs) But but she was her uh, own pimp. Because you can't be a pimp and a... But you can't be a pimp and a prostitute, just like Jack White says. I, I don't think you can just take the Jack White quotes as gospel truth. I think there would be people out there that might challenge you on that. I don't know. I'm not a pimp or a prostitute. I do not have, nor have I ever had, hoes. <laughs> I would challenge anyone who thinks that Jack White's words are not true in gospel to watch that man play guitar live. I've done it twice. It is a religious experience. I'm so glad for you. So I, I think that's maybe what it is with Crystal. Um, It's another layer to that cake. I mm-hmm. think it's, uh, you know, will they, won't they kind of really becomes more of a uh, what will you do? How far are you willing to go? And what can you get out of it? Because it's truly just people fucking each other over. Right. It's l- people literally fucking and fucking each other over. Sometimes yes. at the same time. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. So, and this might be a controversial statement. I don't know. It- it's not a fun statement to make, but I feel like it's worth saying. Like, I don't like when, like, movies use the word come when it's not porn or 
it's being played for laughs. Hmm. Because, like, I find, like, it's not that I find the subject or the word cum objectionable, but because it feels stupid. Like, Hmm. I feel like cum is such a, like, in-the-moment sexual word. Mm -hmm. Like, so, like, you should say jizz or something like that. That's a movie word. Like, jizz is a movie word. Yeah, yeah. Baby gravy. Love sauce. Happy paints. Anyway, I don't know. Like, what, like, whatever you want to say, like, I feel like, or like, get your rocks off. That's a good one, too. Yeah, groovy juice. Groovy juice. Like, those are movie words. Like, I feel like the word cum is, like, so, like, it's almost like cunt. I, I see what you mean there. I think uh, a cum is interesting because it is also a verb. I mean, jizz could also be a verb. Um, it, it's, it's like, I don't know. It, it's, it's versatile and it's recognizable and it, it, it doesn't have the same kind of bite that some other sexually charged words have. Exactly. Maybe that's supposed to make it more casual. I don't really know. Yeah, but like, especially whenever they say it in this movie, like they always say it when they're not having sex. Yeah, that's true. So I'm like, like what? Like it always feels so fake when they're saying it. Almost like they're like, oh, we're using a porn industry word. We're gonna, we're gonna get the, we're gonna. This is a big old wink to the audience. Like, we know what we're talking about. And it's like, please just shut up. Interesting. I I see where you're going with that. Yeah, that's that's my whole thing. It's just like, it feels very fake. Like, like almost, almost corporate synergy. Like, anyway... So like we talked about before, the reveal of Nomi's past within the like te- last 10 minutes of the film kind of feels like a waste. Like, why didn't we have a longer downfall? Uh, I think maybe this kind of plays into uh, the next thing that we were going to talk about. And uh, this whole really, really tense last part of the movie uh, kind of it closes up a lot of loose ends. And it makes a lot of points about a lot of things, and it happens very fast, and it's kind of jarring a little bit. Uh, so I, I kind of see where you're coming from with the revealing the past at the end, but it's a very tactical implementation of that piece of information that really reveals a lot about other characters, I think. Right. And it's all kind of wrapped around this one scene, and I feel like it's the most objectionable thing in the film. We kind of haven't talked about it until this point, but we might as well now. Um, so there is a uh, rape scene in this film. Um, there was no reason for this. Just cut it. <laughs> uh, you know, at first I thought, you know, this is especially brutal. I mean, any time that they, like, depict this in a movie is brutal, but this one in particular is very, uh, very intense. And yeah. I think that... Uh, it's not necessarily it fits because the movie is so extreme in many ways i don't like it and i'm not supposed to like it you're not supposed to like you're not supposed to have any kind of connection with this i think that maybe it really just goes to uh it goes to show other it makes a bigger point with the other characters you talk about like zach and how he isn't necessarily in defense of uh what's his name andre andrew whoever that musician guy is who's like a total piece of shit that guy and he's like well he's in the industry you're on the inside now this shit happens sometimes like okay that's a really dark and stupid way to look at things and like especially nowadays it's not a a perspective that ages well but having the brutal scene in there really underlines the fact that he is in it for the financial gain like we said earlier like we have our other guy who is uh, in it for his own personal emotional game or maybe he's playing the game maybe he just likes being around these people maybe he has something he thinks he can get from nomi zach is in it for the money he'll get what he can get on the side but it is ultimately a business transaction for him and somebody else is gonna get into some dark shit well that's just a complication for him making money 
I understand. I just feel like they could have made that point differently. And also, like, the fact that they chose the Molly character to be, you know, to be assaulted, I, I just, that's never sat right with me. Like, why would you do that? I think maybe, again, with the other characters, uh, well, I say other, other from who we were talking about earlier, like Nomi and the changes that Nomi goes through and the person that she becomes, even though she is kind of a flat character, this is like a uh, rubber meets the road example of like, this lifestyle can hurt the people around you. Or like, if you're willing to cut throats to get to where you're at, it will come back to bite you. Other people will get hurt. I, I get that, but I just feel like, I feel like something else could have been done. But with such a dramatic ending, and this is the final point I want to make, is like, I always hate the actual ending of this film. Because it's like, where does she go from here? Like, how is she not being arrested? However, like, given the events of the film, and like, literally what you were just talking about, where Zach said, like, he's in the industry and we all have to stick together. Why didn't she tell Zach that she beat the shit out of Andrew? Because he was going to find out about it anyway. But see, here's the thing, though. Like, if by that logic, she's the star of that show now. Yeah. He can't afford to lose her. So why is she running away? I think it's, well, that's exactly the thing is that for him, it's a money thing. It's like, oh, it's all about money. Oh, well, how about this? I'm going to put your guy in a body cast and you're not going to, he's not going to be able to help your little group out. I'm going to leave too. You're left holding the bag because you're a big piece of shit. Right, I understand that, but at the same time, like, I felt like she had so much more to gain by, like, I guess being a more, like, I felt like she could have had a more badass ending. Like, it was pretty badass what she did and for the reasons she did it, but she should have just straight up killed him. Like, the movie was already in that arena. She should have just straight up killed him. She should have fucking killed Zack after that. Like, it should have been, like, a Kill Bill type ending. I see that. Uh, I definitely think that would have been appropriate, especially with Paul Verhoeven. Like, we look at how Starship Troopers would done he could have made it pretty awesome i think specifically for her getting out of town uh going presumably to los angeles because that's what's on the highway you know <laughs> that's on the sign i think maybe that means that like maybe she's going to do hollywood next maybe she was a star here she can be a star anywhere maybe she's gonna go be in the movies now i don't know it's like a it's exciting it's like back at the beginning of the movie where you think like ah we're gonna go make it big oh well if i make it here i make it anywhere like that old frank sinatra bit <laughs> yeah exactly and like <laughs> I guess for me, it's just like this movie doesn't hit the right notes, and that's what I'm trying to get at. I feel you. It's just, I, I wish it were different. Like, because this movie, I felt like, could have been really good. And if they wanted to go the satire angle, they definitely could have, and they just kind of missed the mark. But yeah, I see it. But I'm actually kind of alone in this, because there's actually been a lot of reanalysis of this film post, like, when it came out, because it was pretty much panned by critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, many critics have come forward since the release of the film to defend it. Uh, they say that it should be looked at as a serious satire. And I, I kind of want to break that down. So, like, the film could work as a satire if you watch it correctly. Meaning if you are looking for the for like the parallels to other Hollywood works or to real life. So some that I found were um, the film mimics the A Star is Born storyline that you find in a lot of Hollywood films like with the film A Star is Born. Or any like really like Hero's Journey or like Rags to Riches story. This kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You know, it works out for all kinds of people, like Judy Garland. See how that one worked out. Exactly. So, like, this is, like, this is taking, like, the bad side of the Star is Born story and, like, making it the whole story. It's kind of flipping that whole, like, cliche on its head. Uh-huh. And it's, like, perverting it in a way, which is why I kind of feel like the film is so sexually charged as well. It's like you're perverting a, uh, a, like, a trope. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely see what you mean there. Okay, so, and then our protagonist is kind of a horrible person who doesn't deserve what she's getting. Yeah, no, I mean, like, especially when we look at, like, the other characters in the movie and how they're, like, either better people or they're better prepared to do the jobs that they're doing or they're maybe even better performers, uh, and then she ends up getting it. It's like, it is a... Truly doesn't deserve it. Now, this is kind of a little bit of a side note here. Uh, as someone who has a bit of a background in dance and choreography, uh, how is that in this movie? Is it legit? I mean, like, it, like that part of the movie is legit. Like, there, there is a lot of good dancing going on, even if some of it is, like, a little too sexual for my liking at times. Uh, mainly that lap dance scene. <laughs> yeah, well, she was... Th- that was a strip club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just... I mean, but, like... The amount of, like, body control that she had in that, especially, like, where she's, like, you know, basically pretending like she's lying on her back, but she's actually just in the air. Uh Uh-huh. Like, that shit's crazy. Like, that takes a lot of strength. So, I mean, like, like, props to her for that. Like, she did really good with that scene. All right, well, that answers most of my question, then. Okay. All right, so, um, let's see. So, it also, the film also trades, like, the glitz and glamour of a Hollywood story for sex and exploitation. Um, the melodrama could be viewed as played up for laughs. Uh, see that scene where Naomi finds, uh, James sleeping with Penny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the most melodramatic part of the movie, and it's just... It kind of reminds me of that part in Friends. It's, like, one of the only things I remember from that series is just like where it's you know ross is like you know we're on a break yeah exactly like it's exactly like that like it's melodramatic it's like way over the top and it like it could be seen as being played for laughs but i don't know if it really is executed that well right um so and you know i don't know if i agree with this analysis but here are a few directors that do uh most notably would be quentin tarantino who in 1996 said uh this is one of the only times in the last 20 years that a major studio has made a full-on gigantic big budget exploitation movie uh yes yeah, see cannibal holocaust see can well this movie had like nearly three times the budget of cannibal holocaust oh it way more than that yeah no absolutely can that, that was uh that, that was a little humor <laughs> a little humor that was a little humor for all you folks out there at home <laughs> Oh, man. So that about wraps it up for what I want to say, John. Do you have anything else to say about Showgirls? You know, I think you really hit the nail on the head with uh, what is ultimately a big, gigantic exploitation movie. uh, And it dresses up as a proper film like a proper star is born story and it's masquerading as such and i I think if maybe you take that angle on it there is a little bit of uh academic merit to the way that it is like executed and written i don't think that it's all necessarily that way i think a lot of people making this film were probably just like uh oh yeah it's a weird sexy dark thing and like it it is but like it's a curio you know there are not a lot of movies like this and uh having seen the whole thing and it's like proper entirety um it's a it is a little deeper than i thought it was and it definitely didn't deserve the chop job that it got for television no i mean this is not like we said this is not a movie for television uh children should not be able to see this just point blank right uh we're doing a lot of these turns out a lot of these movies in fact i'm gonna go ahead and say that the past nine episodes or so have been uh you know movies that children should never see right i mean we're gonna we're gonna be getting into christmas so we'll 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 have some more family friendly fare coming up here soon but yeah like ginger dead man oh god no Who le- who lets John pick the movies? Why did I say that that was okay? Anyway, we'll see you next week. Uh, we have one more week before our uh, little Christmas series that we do annually. Uh, I guess this will be the second annual Christmas series. 
Um, so, as always, uh, for Four Year Inflammation, I'm Zach. And I'm John. Go find us on Facebook. Watch a new movie this week. Tell your shitty friends. Bye, guys. <laughs>